Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, smartphone, iPad, or social device, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 14 is the address. What would you say the biggest difference is between people who flourish in life, who have great relationships, and those who don't? Well, let me promise you, it's not what we mostly get preoccupied with. It's not mostly money. It's not mostly health. It's not mostly talent or good looks or IQ. Basically, it's wisdom. It's the ability to make really, really smart, good decisions. If you're an average person, you will make 70 conscious decisions every day. That's 25,550 decisions a year. Over 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions. I'm already past that. You put all that together, and that's basically your life. That's it. Dr. Albert Comas said, life is the sum of all your choices. You didn't get where you are today, today. Today is the result of the choices you've been making for many years. And the good news is you can change your choices. You really can. So that's who you are. That's what you build. Now, that's kind of sobering because there are so many decisions. Well, it's easy to make a bad one. Bad decisions can cost people a marriage, your health, your financial well-being, a relationship with your children, your career, your happiness, even your soul. This is what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And boy, that's just true, isn't it? Think of all the decisions you've ever made. We'll do a little mass confession. All the money you decided to make or spend or save. The people you decided to date or not to date. The food you decided to eat or not to eat. The words you decided to say or not to say. What you've done with your time, your relationships, your habits, your thought life. Anybody in this room ever make at least one decision you later regretted just to show a hands? Ought to be every hand in this room. Yeah, absolutely. We are just disasters at this. So the main truth I want to share with you this morning is that you don't have to face making all these decisions on your own. The text we're going to look at involves a guy named Solomon, son of David. He was a young man. He had recently now taken over the leadership of the whole nation of Israel as his father David has died. He realized he's in way over his head. No chance on his own. And he has this amazing opportunity given to him in our Scripture. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Imagine having a blank check from God. What you want? You name it. Just imagine you had that opportunity. What would you ask for? If you could have anything you wanted, what would you ask for? Here's Solomon. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and uprightness of heart towards you. And you've kept him from this, you have kept for him this great steadfast love, and have given a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. He's referring to his youth and his inexperience. 
I do not know how to go out or come in. That's a phrase associated with leaders, meaning I don't know how to do this job. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this our great people? Would to God our political leaders would pray that prayer. I'm telling you, we'd have a different country. Solomon could have asked for anything in the world he wanted. What does he ask for? Wisdom. You ever done that? You ever just ask God for wisdom? Notice God's response. It pleased the Lord. I love that. It pleased God. It pleased the Lord. Solomon asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this, and you haven't asked for a Lamborghini or for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, then I'm going to do that according to your word. Indeed, I'm going to give you now wise and a, a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you and none like you shall ever come after you. And I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for, riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my way and keep my statutes and my commandments like your father David did, then I will even lengthen your days. God is thrilled, Solomon asked, for wisdom. A guy named Bob Merritt wrote this, a part of what God seems to be saying is that if you pursue wisdom, many other aspects of well-being will always follow. Financial well-being, because people of wisdom work hard, save well, give generously, and they don't get trapped by a lot of debt. Physical well-being, long life, because people who are wise do things like eat well, exercise, get regular checkups honor and a great name comes to you. Why? Because wise people make choices of integrity. They do the right thing. They try to be fair to people. And we tend to be drawn to these people. And then success or effectiveness in your work comes because wise people learn to use their time really, really well and to be serious about their gifts, and they try to sharpen them and keep learning and growing all the time. That's part of what wisdom does. Man, this thing just makes you better and better and better. No wonder Solomon would go on to say, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her. She will exalt you. Embrace her. She will honor you. In other words, don't be stupid. You know, everything has a limit except stupid. And God says, you have no idea if you'll start now, even if it's late in life, start now. And what I'm going to give you, five simple principles from God's Word about how to make smart choices. You're going to have a good life. You're going to end up well. You're going to finish strong. Uh, This is not a sad note, but a happy note. Dr. Buckner Fanny just, just passed away, one month short of 90 years of age. I love that man. He served in a church in this city for 42 years. 50 years serving Jesus Christ in ministry, a faithful, happy, vivacious man who never met a stranger, who was a unifier, and my friend. He's preached in this church many times, and he stood on this platform uh, and dedicated this church when we had no roof yet, just concrete slab, and we had the building, we put the chairs up here, and I'm so honored that he brought that word of dedication. He ran his race, he lived it well, he finished strong. God bless you, Buckner Fanny. And God bless Martha, his wife, and his family. And I tell you, it wouldn't be sad to bury somebody like that. 90 years of doing it right. 
finishing strong and leaving a legacy. You can do that. Yes, you can. That's not luck. That's choice. So he says, get wisdom and get understanding. And our biggest regrets are usually decisions we wish we could take back. But time doesn't work that way. So let me walk you through how to pursue what Solomon did. How do you make great God-honoring, life-giving decisions? Think about some area this morning in your own life where you need to make an important decision. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's as a parent. Or you got a kid who's an issue. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your financial life. Maybe it's how do I handle my time? Or how do I handle the talents God's given me? Actually try to put this into practice this week. So here we go. Number one, pray. Ask God for wisdom. Just begin where Solomon did. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to every man generously, ungrudgingly, and it shall be given to you. God loves to give wisdom to people who need it. Now, this gets to a topic that's really, really often misunderstood, but it's very important. Decision-making and the will of God for your life. And so, folks will often get, in a, get a wedgie out of, how do I know the will of God for my life? Anybody ever wrestle with that decision in life? Yeah. Well, God's primary will for your life and mine is not what you do. It's the person you become. God's primary will for your life is not what job you should take, not mainly the city you live in, whether or not you choose to get married, what house you ought to live in, what clothes you ought to wear today, where you're going to eat after Rick gets through. God's primary will is that you become a magnificent person in His image with the character of Jesus Christ. And that wouldn't matter what you did, see? And no circumstance can prevent that from happening. Now, we all understand, if especially if we're parents, that as a parent, would you want kids where you have to tell them their whole life long, wear these clothes, take this class, go to that school, apply for this job, marry that person. Well, as a daddy, that would be good. Marry that person. <laughs> Purchase this house, brush your teeth, wash your hands, and you always have to tell them what to do as long as they live. No parent would ever want that, and neither does God. When you're a baby, we tell you, wash your hands, brush your teeth, clean up your room, pick that up, say thank you. But our ultimate goal is you can do that without me telling you anything, right? That's developing character and value. Well, God wants you to learn that from His Word as well. See, your main goal for your children is not for them to be little mindless gophers that carry out your instructions. Neither does God want you to be a mindless gopher in this world, a robot. He gave you a free will. Your main goal is that you become people of great character, judgment, and discernment. The only way to do that is to make lots and lots of decisions, and we have to let our children do it, and of course, that means they'll make some wrong choices. But that's a primary way they learn. Anybody ever make a decision and you said, oh, shoot, that was rotten, and you ain't never going to do that again? Hey, welcome to wisdom. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you'll learn from failure more than you will success. Sadly, some people don't learn. They just keep doing the same, get married five times, still keep doing the same dumb thing. Didn't learn a thing. Dumb. Dumb. They're not smarter. They didn't get wisdom. They didn't learn anything. You've had five jobs. You've been fired for all of them. They all say the same thing, and yet it's a conspiracy against you. No, you're the jerk. And you need, to, you need to just be honest and self-aware. 
It's all about choices. So God's will very often is, I want you to decide. Because decision, when he got the, the, the five talents, the two talents, and one in Matthew 25, he didn't say, now buy stock in Apple and do this. He says, go invest it. You choose. You decide. You risk. I give you that free will to do it. You go choose. Some of you think God has to tell you every day what to put on, when you can go to the bathroom, what you must eat. What, it's like, you, you're like this. God says, well, what do you want to wear? What do you want to eat? What would you like to? Well, everybody's getting married. Well, you want to get married? Well, not really, but everybody is, and they keep asking me. Well, don't get married then. That's not a good reason to get married. I mean, there's downsides to being single, but there's a whole lot of downsides to being married. And all, and all the married folks said, boy, that's a fact. Yeah, you get some advantages. You get some. Nobody gets a clean slate. Everybody's got negatives. Everybody's got positives. God says, you choose. The Bible says, whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. God said, you find her. You got to live with her. You find her. This is Bible, folks. Thank you, boys. Shout me down. I like it. So, Decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. God is primarily in the character-forming business, not the circumstance-shaping business. That's God's main will for you. So, that's why when you face a decision, James does not say, if any of you face a tough decision and it's making you feel anxious, ask God to tell you what to do so you can be relieved of anxiety and all responsibility. Nope, doesn't say that. James doesn't, also doesn't say God will relieve you of all the difficulty of having to make a pressure decision. No. What he says is, ask God for wisdom, and then you and God can do this thing together. God is going to grow you up as a person. He's going to help you. So decisions begin with the ask. It's not door number one, door number two, or door number three. Nonsense. But God, would you give me wisdom, give me a discerning heart, and an understanding mind. So we ask. Second key. Pray for the right frame of mind. An anxious mind and an exhausted body will lead you to a bad decision nine times out of ten. The worst decision I can make is when I'm raging mad or I'm deeply depressed. You're not thinking right. You don't want to make a major life-affecting choice that way. Nothing's worth that. The Bible says through Paul, and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So if I'm going to make a good decision, I need peace, that encouragement of knowing I'm with God and God's with me. Here's a good example. In the book of Kings, it's a prophet named Elijah. He has this amazing spiritual encounter intense. He calls on the name of God. He confronts the false prophets of Baal. He calls fire down from heaven. This dude's working it. And he ends up outrunning a chariot for 40 miles. Demands on him spiritually, emotionally, and physically are intense. He's a human being. He's not an angel. He's fully drained. Now he hears the queen Jezebel is going to kill him. And his initial response, this remarkable guy, because he's been through such a draining experience, he wants to give up and die. Just kill me. Just let me die. So God, when you hear people talking like that, put them to bed. Yeah. Give them a Xanax. Put them to bed or something. <laughs> Baby, we'll talk about this in the morning. You go to bed right now. Go to bed. Cover up. Make sure it's quiet. Keep the kids away. Close the door. Make it real dark. You need to rest. I'm going to prove it to you. You watch this. 
So, what does God do for His prophet? God gives him a giant timeout. God puts him to sleep for a long time, then gives him some food, then makes him go back and sleep some more, then 40 days of rest and being with God, speaking to God in prayer, and now Elijah is ready to decide how to respond. And that'll be the same for you. I've seen people make terrible decisions. When they're exhausted, when they're drained and discouraged and tired, they would never make if they were in their right mind and at peace. That's part of why encouragement is so important to wisdom. You know, mostly wisdom is not about information, but also emotional management and self-awareness. When in the Bible or in real life, open book quiz, have you ever seen anybody make a great decision based on fear and exhaustion? Never. Never happens. So if you have a really important decision coming up and you find yourself depressed, discouraged, drained, and exhausted, it may be that God will lead you like Elijah to wait, time out, get some rest, some good food, and wait to make a decision until you have that peace that I belong to God, I'm His child, my well-being is not at risk, and the peace of God will guard or referee or umpire my heart and my mind. If I've got something troubling me in my spirit, that is the Holy Spirit telling you, don't, it may be no, it may be not yet. So put, it's a caution. God can't, it's a, you meet somebody and say, I don't know, I just had a bad feeling. You don't have any indication anything's wrong. You don't have any evidence of any wrongdoing. But the Holy Spirit is also one of the ways God guides you. And inside, He's telling you, because I've heard people say, you know, I didn't feel good about that. That was God warning you, and you just blew right through the stop sign. So if you got a check in your heart or spirit, whether it's hiring somebody, whether it's in a relationship with somebody, marrying somebody, making a contract, doing business with somebody, and you've got that little check of, I'm not sure about it, wait. Back off and wait. That's, that's God's way to protect you. Remember, He's for you, not against you. He's not throwing you to the wolves. Here's the third thing. So you ask God, be sure you're at peace. You're rested. You're not tired, depressed, or mad. Number three, you don't want to buy a big, big 80-inch flat-screen TV during football season. You got the hotsy-trotsies, and you, you, yeah, you're all jacked up emotionally. Never buy anything when all your juices are flowing. This is not good, because you might you might end up regretting that, you know, your, your brain's going to short circuit and it could really cost you. So that brings us to point three. Consider the long-term consequences of your decision. You young people, think about what you're about to do. You're going to go to a party, you're going to drink, and you're going to drive. This can cost you on your record, can cost you insurance rates, can cost you tens of thousands of dollars, so you don't get a good credit. When you go to buy something or get credit, it's going to hurt you. You're going to be, you're a a risk. So that's going to affect. You think Johnny Manziel's going to get the break? It's like, it wasn't a one-time slip. This guy lives a slip. And And I feel very sad for his parents and those who love Johnny, but he's out of control. He's a very gifted young man. I'm sure he, he, you know, he didn't get up planning to destroy his life, but everybody, including secular media people, are saying, Johnny's destroying his life. And that's sad because we can, we can do an intervention, but that's about it. You still get free will to make your choice. So God's saying, if you drink, don't drive. 
call Uber, 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 I don't know. Jessica knows, call, call Uber, yeah, okay. Call a friend, call mom and dad, come get me. That's a smart thing to do. Or you don't want to end up like this kid from Texas who killed three or four people three times over the legal limit, right? Then dumb mother fled to Mexico. They ought to put her in jail too, just for being stupid. You know, being rich doesn't mean you're smart. That's a fact. Now you say, well, that's not politically correct. I don't care. I'm not a billionaire, but I don't care. It's just right. You just watch people do stupid stuff and they don't consider the outcome. And then they're old people and they, well, I wish I'd, well, I regret. Well, hey, God loves you. You're part of the kingdom of God. He wants you to make good choices so you don't live with regret. So you end up having a great life, a good life. My goodness gracious, I want my kids to have a great life. So one of the things that leads to terrible decisions is we get short-sighted when we make the choice. And one of the most common themes in the book of Proverbs, that's the book of wisdom. Every young person ought to read at least one chapter a day out of Proverbs. Get smart. And here's what he says. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor be hasty and miss the way. Don't get married too quick. Don't go in debt too quick. Don't buy some car you might not can afford. You maybe can afford, but if you have any setback at all, you'll go under. Think about the long-term consequences. Think about pulling the trigger on a gun. Think about burglary in a home to support your drug habit. Those decisions have consequences, right? Think long-term. What's going to happen? This wise people talk to God about it. Is this a decision that could have serious implications down the road? God help me see what's at stake here. Not just what will feel good in the moment, but what kind of a person is this going to make me in a day, a month, or a year? Wise people pause when they're making decisions, say, God, show me. Help me in this moment. Not just what would feel good, but this coming month, next year, in 10 years, what are the long-range consequences of this choice? There's a world of difference between making a decision based on what feels good to me right now and making a decision you're going to regret later. What kind of a person do I want most to be? What kind of values do I want most to live? What kind of life does God want me to create? Number four, get wise counsel. Everybody can do this. If you want wisdom, don't do it all by yourself. Get around people whose character you trust, who have good judgment, and who care and love you. Tell them, I've got a big decision to make. Any advice? Speak into my life. And very often, God speaks wisdom to us through somebody else. Iron sharpens iron. Deep calls to deep. He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Simple. Who are you asking advice from, if anybody? Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool seems right in his own eyes. Why? Because he's a fool. That's part of what it means to be a fool. The way of fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. That means if you don't have a teachable spirit, you're not smart. You may be educated, you're not smart, and you won't finish well in life. Can you be coachable? Can you listen to advice? 
When I was 17 and going to buy my first car, I was in a rock and roll band. I had pockets of money. Things were good. Nobody could tell me anything. And my grandfather, who raised me in my teenage years in South Carolina, took me to a car lot and he said, Ricky, buy the Volkswagen. You're single. You're young. You're not out of college. It won't cost you much money to insure it. And in those days, nothing. And it won't cost you anything to drive it, three bucks for a week. Well, wouldn't you love that? Now we had to pay that for a gallon. But I remember dating a girl and going home at night in my 50 Chevy, and I put a quarter's worth of Gulf Tane in it, and it moved the needle. And I got home on a quarter. That's how cheap gas was. 25 cents a gallon. Yeah, well, like that girlfriend, it's all gone. That's gone. It's gone. <laughs> he told me to buy that Volkswagen at that point in my life. What did I go for? A brand new SS396 Supersport Chevy. And then the band broke up, and all the money's gone. And so I just had to get rid of it. And you know what I bought in this place? A Volkswagen. And it did me well for many years. I didn't listen to advice. I paid for that. And when I get to heaven, first thing I'm going to tell, I know you think it's funny, Mike, I'm going to tell my granddaddy, Luke Godwin, I'm going to say, granddaughter, I was stupid and wrong not to buy that Volkswagen. Now let's rejoice in the Lord. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to tell him, you were right, I was wrong. Anybody ever have that experience that you could look back and say, I didn't take advice? Or, you know, if, if, if three people call you a jackass, no, go buy a saddle. And if three people or four people are telling you who love you and know you, hey, you're making a bad choice with this guy, I'm telling you, this is the wrong guy for you, and they're all not interconnected, but they all love you, hey, somebody's seeing something you're not seeing. At least back off, time out, wait. That's all. That would be a good thing. You don't have to become a train wreck. God didn't plan it that way. So a coachable spirit is a core to wisdom, and we all need that. You go to any courtroom in Bear County any day of the week, and nobody is sitting in that courtroom because they had a wise, loving, trustworthy person courageously speaking truth into their life about the decision they made that put them there. Nobody. The way of a fool seems right to the fool. And ironically, this is kind of sad, one of the greatest violators of that law was Solomon himself. Solomon, who, when he's young, asked God for wisdom and lived a long life making great, solid, wise choices. Listen to the end of his life. 1 Kings. Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Well, duh, no kidding. So here's your takeaway this morning. What'd you learn in church? Don't marry a thousand women and you're ahead of the smartest guy in the Bible. Part of what Solomon's life tells us is that you can make smart choices for a long time, and then because all of us have weaknesses and shortcomings or a blind spot, you can blow it. No matter how long you've been smart, he made a bad choice. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got years and years ago was just to ask a couple of wise, trusted people to be a personal board of directors for me when I'm facing a big, major decision. Not when, whether I should go to HEB, but big, big choices.
And I think in this church, what a great thing it would be if everybody in this church who follows Jesus had a small board of directors around you who had the authority just to speak wisdom into your life, and you gave them that permission to speak freely. You can do that this week. You see, if you've got an important decision right now, think of two or three people you could talk to. If you're going into a business partnership, there are some negatives you need to be careful, and you need to make sure the contracts indicate that. Talk to a few of our business and legal experts who can tell you the best advice so you don't get ensnared. These are just good. Find people who are experts or smart in that area of life and talk to them about a little bit of advice, right? Could you speak wisdom into my life? Here's what I'm thinking. How does it sound to you? But let me tell you what Christians do. They just do what they're going to do. They don't, when they come and talk to me, they've already done it. I thought, what'd you waste my time for? What what am I going to pray for you about? You've already made the choice. You're just trying to put religious, you're just trying to put lipstick on a pig. That's what you're trying to do. You just want to make it religious. Oh yeah, I went to see Brother Rick. No, you didn't go see me. Squat. I've already read your mail and I'm going to be really smart to you because I know what you're doing. So you won't play me. I've been around 72 years. I know the game. You can't play that with me. I'll come on you like a pit bull on a burglar. You know, I cleaned that up very, very quick. I was thinking something else. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. There's almost, listen, there's almost not a single train wreck decision people make that could not have been prevented by asking one smart person to speak seriously into their life and then listening. And last, number five, now that you've done all that, decide. Go with gusto. Trust God. Don't look back. Pull the trigger. Actually make the decision and be clear about it. Now, could I make a wrong choice? Of course. None of us are perfect. None of us are infallible. But nothing's going to happen or change till you make the decision. So make the decision. I remember people asking me, well, Rick, if you knew the economy was going to tank globally in 08, would you have built as big as some it is now? And I says, well, first of all, that's a, that's a very foolish question because that scenario does not exist. We made our choice at the time with wise counsel, with financial integrity. So at that time, it was a right choice. Yeah, if I'd have known. Well, yeah, if I'd have known he was going to be like this, would I have married him? Let's see, that, how to dump. You can't do that. People say, well, uh, do you think you married the right person? Too late, dude. I married. I said, I do. I covenant, committed. I'm in. Till death do us part. That's just foolish to do that. Don't do that. You know, you did what you thought was right at the time. You go with that. And you don't look back. In the movie Band of Brothers, remember this one guy's passed over for a command and the leader said to him, you weren't passed over because you're a, you make bad decisions. You're passed over because you won't make a decision. And if I'm in combat, I have to make choices. Sometimes it's the wrong choice, not intentionally, but I want to follow somebody who's confident in what they're doing. You got to make a call, pull the trigger. If there's a bad experience out of it, learn from that. Now you're smarter the next time. But when you've done all the praying and you've gotten wisdom, you've gotten counsel, it's not infallible, but you still got to pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. I'm not making this up. A guy named Walter Kaufman, a Princeton philosopher 40 years ago, coined the word decide-a-phobia. Decide-a-phobia. Phobia is a fear, and it's fear of decisions. He noticed that something about human beings, we're afraid of making decisions. 
We don't want the anxiety that goes along with the possibility of making the wrong decision. Decisions wear us out. Ever go to the Cheesecake Factory to eat? You ever look at that menu? Looks like a New York phone directory, doesn't it? And you can get paralyzed. Well, what if I decide on the wrong thing for lunch? Now, if you've got decidophobia, what God's got to want you to do is make a lot of decisions so you learn to embrace decision-making. And folks who work in the field of decision-making say there are two basic styles. Number one, maximizers. A maximizer are people who feel the need to make the best perfect decision. That means I have to exhaustively search through every single option so I know for sure that I didn't just make a good decision, I made the best decision. That's a maximizer. Then there are satisfiers. Satisfiers who look through enough good stuff and make a call. And if that's you, you're a satisfier. You'll look through your options until you find one that crosses your threshold of acceptability, then you pull the trigger. For example, if you're at a hotel and there's a television with 400 channels on it, if you're a satisfier, you'll start looking through the channels until you find one you like to watch. You watch it. If you're a maximizer, you're going to have to look through every single 400 channels because you're terrified you might choose the wrong thing without knowing what you could have seen. You are a mess to live with. And it's interesting when it comes to job searches. It's really important for young people to know. Maximizers, as you might expect, do intense job searches. They end up on average making 20% more money than satisfiers. Ah, but they're less satisfied with their decisions. They're more pessimistic. They're more anxious. They make more money, but they feel worse. So here's a great verse for this week. For God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. God wants you, me, us to grow in wisdom. That means this week there are going to be decisions you have to make, and you don't even know what some of those decisions are going to be forced on you. You don't even know yet. When Monty Williams uh, was home and got a call, he had no idea how his life would change in one phone call with the death of his wife, the injury of his children. And it was in, that was not a decision on his plate that morning. That wasn't a choice he thought he would have to deal with. None of us do. So I'm saying there are things you know you're going to have to face, but there are always the unexpected things you didn't know, but you're going to have to make decisions. So the the challenge this week, our adventure is to practice making decisions with God to grow in wisdom. And you can start tomorrow. How am I going to get up? Anybody get up on the wrong side of the bed? Well, go home and get up on the opposite side of the bed then for crying out loud. You just get up, you're already depressed, defeated, negative. Oh, I've got so much to do. Like, join the club. But you don't have to get up that way. You can actually decide. You know, years ago, somebody gave me this advice. He says, when you wake up, you actually lay there for a couple of more minutes. He says, do this. Just quote the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And do that every morning. I get up and do this every morning when I'm laying there awake and hadn't rolled over to get out of the bed. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. Oh, I'm awake, I'm alive. And this day, you are my shepherd, my guide. Give me wisdom to make choices that I will have to make today and help me to make the right ones. To get up on the right side of the bed is to make such a difference, such a simple, quick thing to do. Ask God to direct you that day. You greet people, decide how you're going to greet people. Smile, embrace, warm, friendly. When you get in a car, you can play a song, or like me, you can sing terribly, but alone. That gives you great joy. 
If you feel stuck at work, you can get up from your desk, go walk around, talk with God in your heart and mind. God, here's what we're doing today. Here's where I need help. I need wisdom. Just get up and take a break and ponder and ask. And it will come. I'm telling you, it may come through a friend, a person, a phone call, or just an intuitive feeling. It'll come to you. And at the end of the day, take a few moments, look back at the decisions you've made. Learn from them and say, God, now be with me tomorrow. Let me close with one important thought. And this is the most important. Some of you are already thinking, it's too late for me, Rick. I've already made a decision so bad, you're going to have to put it in the can't be redeemed category. I blew my marriage, now it's over. I alienated a child, now they won't talk to me. I I violated my integrity in a public way. I betrayed my values. I sinned. This is the most important statement I will make. You are not saved by the quality of your decisions. You are saved by the grace and mercy of God. And that's a good place to say amen. You are not saved by the quality of your decisions. You are saved by the grace of God. You've never made a decision so bad, God can't forgive it. Last illustration. Jesus is on a cross. His life is about to expire. A guy next to him is on a cross also. He's made a life of terrible decisions. Seventy a day, 25,000 a year. He's a thief. He's corrupt. He's deceitful. He's greedy. He's getting exactly what he deserved because of his choices. But the last decision he makes is to cast his life into Jesus' care. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, all right, I will. This day you will be with me in paradise. See, with God, the decision that matters the most is the one you make right now. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.